Blog Talk Radio. Ignite your life with passion and purpose. Your health, your wealth, your happiness. Make it good. This is Modern Love with Dr. Brenda Wade. A big thank you to Rainbow Grocery, our favorite grocery store here in the San Francisco Bay Area, for being our sponsor, because a healthy body is a sexy body. Well, a healthy body is a sexy body, but you know what else is sexy, everybody? Having some money in your bank account. And it's sexy because when you don't have it, you are stressed out, and we know that it destroys relationships. And it doesn't matter whether you're newlyweds or married for decades. This is the number one reason couples fight. It's money. In fact, in 2016, there was a survey by Divorce Magazine, a magazine I hope none of you will have to read, that found that financial issues are the number one cause of divorce. And that's not new data. We've known that for a long time. So our guest tonight is going to spare you some agony. His name is Mitchell Walker, and I'm going to quote him. Money is the 800-pound gorilla in the bedroom that very few seem to be able to drive out. In just a moment, Mitchell's going to share how couples can put together a simple financial plan that will bring them together instead of driving them apart. So right here at Modern Love Radio, Modern Love Training and Seminars, we know that real love accelerates when you have the right tools in your toolbox. And how many of you took those classes in middle school, in high school, in college, on how to manage your finances, how to have a great love life? Well, I know you didn't take them because they didn't exist then, and they don't exist now, and that's a shame. And that is why the divorce rate hovers at 50 to 51% for the last 45 years. And our goal is to stop that. So it doesn't matter if you're looking for love, if you're on the brink of a marriage or relationship that's failing, or if you want to create true prosperity. Here at Modern Love, we've got everything from one-day intensive trainings, teleseminars, if you live remotely, as so many of our followers and our participants do. We have mastermind groups. We have couples training. We have everything we could possibly create to support you on your journey of true love, true prosperity. And we blend, you know, our secret sauce is psychology, science, and spirituality And we are getting every day wonderful emails and messages on the transformation in the lives of the people that work with us. And I want you to mark your calendar right now and join us the second Saturday in August for our live monthly one-day intensive. And this one-day intensive is going to be, guess what, about true love true prosperity seven steps to take right now 
So we're going to kick it off with an Ask Dr. Brenda question. Keep your questions coming. This one says, Dear Dr. Brenda, I've been with my partner for five years, and I want to spend many more years together. He grew up poor. I grew up wealthy. He has worked for money almost all of his life, but the whole time we've been together, he hasn't had a paying job. He does a lot of emotional labor and unpaid work for people and some volunteering. He has big dreams that would involve working for money. My question is, how can I encourage him to do the work to follow his dreams while still rejecting what society and my friends tell me that he's lazy and that he should get a job? This is from Tony in Tucson. Well, Tony, guess what? It's not about what your friends think. It's how you feel and how the two of you feel together. Now, if you've been together five years, you've got a pretty strong relationship and a strong start. And I want to introduce you to a concept that I call equal exchange of energy. If you are supporting your sweetheart and he is giving as much in the relationship as you are, whether it's money whether it's time, whether it's energy, whether he does the cooking, then you may feel comfortable if he's not contributing energy. That isn't always money. Then take a look at what feels right for you and talk about it. It's not about what the friends think. It's about how the two of you feel. All right, let's get right into tonight's guest. Tonight you're going to learn three things that can practically divorce-proof your marriage. Mitchell Walker is a former vice president of finance for the Berkshire Hathaway Company. I was just in that neck of the woods out in Omaha, Nebraska. So for many years, Mitchell's passion has been helping people improve their personal financial situations. He believes and shares this message. If you do money right, life gets easier. You do money wrong, and life gets harder. Mitchell, I can certainly testify 25 years ago, you were more than $100,000 in debt, and then you dug your way out by discovering and refining what you call the pouch plan. So everybody, welcome to the show, author, financial expert, and the book is called The Pouch Plan Budget, The Simple Way to Find Hidden Money, Improve Your Life, and Build Wealth. Welcome to the show, Mitchell. Good evening, Dr. Brenda. It's a pleasure to be with you. Wow. Now, tell us your story. You were more than $100,000 in debt and had no assets. Yes. How did that happen? I was coming out of an unexpected divorce, Mm. and in the process, I needed to uh, sell a struggling business for basically pennies on the dollar. Mm -hmm. And when all the dust settled down, I, I had no job, and I owed tens of thousands, if not a hundred thousands of dollars, uh, to banks and creditors at that point in time. Wow! And, uh, it That's was scary. Painful. Yes, it was scary. scary. Deep Whew. dark hole, scary. Mm-hmm. Deep dark hole, scary. I hear you. I've been on that train, and it's no fun. Absolutely no fun. Divorce is its own special emotional hell. But the financial fallout is something a lot of people don't recognize, that there's always financial fallout, and that's painful, too. 
Yes, and what I discovered was that, you know, when all you can see is, a, is that little glimmer of light up at the top of that hole, if you will, if you will start just making small, good choices and decisions, uh, it won't be long before that, the horizon of that hole begins to grow, and then one day you're able to peek out of that horizon and you see a whole other horizon that's full of hope and beautifulness and joy and freedom and that's how I got out. So what what is it if you look back at your family background, what is it that you learned about money when you were growing up? Well, uh that that's a really interesting question. I wish I had learned more sooner. <laughs> yeah, don't we all? <laughs> I hate to say this, but I think in my case that it was experience that taught me and I don't believe in that saying that experience is the best teacher. I believe it's the most thorough teacher. But mm-hmm. I believe that it leaves really deep scars sometimes, and if you're not careful, it can kill you. Yes. Uh, so, and you know what? You say that, and Mitchell, I just want to back you up. That isn't just something you're saying. You know, a lot of people, when the economic downturn happened, we had a rash of suicides. A lot of people couldn't face the pain of those kinds of financial losses. And I know you lost sleep when you went through your divorce and you were looking at all those debts. I lost a lot of sleep myself. Mm-hmm. But wow. once again, one little good decision stacked on top of another little good decision, and eventually you can see out of that hole. So what and are some of the good decisions? When you say, hey, I wish I'd learned more, and now I've been through this really painful place in my life, and started stacking up good decisions. I want to know what they are, but maybe you could start off by telling us how you learned about those good decisions, because there is no class that we take at the time we really need it most, and that's when we're kids. Well, I had, I, I've, I've always been a big reader, and uh-huh. so I had read a lot of financial books uh, from Larry Burkett, uh these are going to be older books that your audience may not know about the authors of. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, uh, you know, the Dave Ramsey stuff, when it came out, it was it was right down the line of what I was interested in doing. You know, <clears throat> debt is debt's tough, and mm-hmm. uh, you're a slave to it uh, if you have it. I don't, I don't care how much you have or what you think. Now, I'm, I've seen it used uh, – wisely by individuals and by businesses so i don't believe in and of itself it is you know you know <laughs> the reincarnated satan or anything mm-hmm. but it 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 can control you mm-hmm. and <clears throat> limiting that debt exposure is extremely important but but really the most important thing is is to put you together just the simplest some kind of plan that you can attempt to follow Okay, so for you, when you started digging your way out, what was the first thing you put in your plan? You said you made a series of good decisions and stacked them on top of one another. What was what was the first place to start? You're looking at a pile of debt. You're looking at a divorce that came out of the blue. Uh, the first thing I did was I decided that the most important thing to do was to be sure that I was paying all the commitments that I had made. That was number one in my plan. And I like the people to think of three or four different buckets, so to speak, for their money. The first one is what you have 
to do. Those are the things like your rent. If you don't pay your rent, you're out in the cold, or in Texas, you're in the heat. Uh, you know, if you don't pay your utilities, you don't have lights. If you don't pay for your car insurance, you're going to get a ticket that costs you four times more than your insurance does. So there is a list of have-tos, and you need to make sure that the first money that you get goes to those have-tos. Uh-huh, uh-huh. And then so after the have-to bucket is the first bucket. Yes, you, that's the have-tos. Uh-huh. Uh, those are paid. You don't spend a dime on anything else until those are funded. Okay. Okay. And then number two is is your need tos. Uh, I mean, you need to invest in uh, in seeing that your children have uh, educational opportunities. You need to buy food, but you know you don't have to buy the most expensive food, but you need to buy food. Uh, you you need you need to start saving some for retirement. Uh, you need to see that uh, opportunities for your growth and for even entertainment are there, okay? But those are the need-tos. Now, how do you allocate? Say somebody, we have somebody listening right now who is really struggling, because I do know we have some people in our audience who are struggling, who may have been out of work for a while and now they're back at work, but they've got to cure those debts. And you're saying, let's get those buckets set up what would you say to them in terms of attitude and how to hang in there to get through this? Because well, some people survive. don't know the basics. I'm sorry? You really can survive if you'll just take care of the have-tos. And mm-hmm. here's the beautiful thing about that. When you start taking care of the have-tos, you will very quickly discover you have more money than you thought to take care of the need-tos. Okay, so start with the have-tos. That's the first thing. The yes. things that you have to have, that's a roof over your head, car insurance, and what else is yeah, on that list? Health insurance. Uh, health insurance, uh, okay. Yeah, you, you have to pay your utility bills. You know, you have to make your your your, your note payments. You know, those are commitments that you have made. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So you, you need to just make sure that you're doing those have-tos, and then you All do right. your need-tos. I mean, you know, you need to have clothes, but clothes can be put off for – you know, a month. You need to you need to look appropriate for your jobs, so or a haircut, or you know, hairstyling needs to be done. But once again, those things can be moved around a little bit. Most of your have tos can't be moved much. Right. Okay. So you're saying look at the things that are essential that you absolutely cannot live without. That's in the have to bucket. Look appropriate for work. Get the haircut. Do what you need to do. But maybe you're going to go down to. Um, uh, what do they call the great clips or the places where they have yes, the Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And then the third bucket, you actually have a third bucket, and, and that's your want-tos. Okay. You know, and you want to take your, your spouse out, you know, every so often. Uh, you want to uh, have a good-looking yard. Uh, you want to uh, take a vacation. Uh, and once again, I'm a, this is what, this is where the hope comes in, and this is where those small steps help you. So if you'll take care of the have-tos, you will find you can do more of the need-tos, and it won't be long before you can start doing the want-tos. Now, what about building a really solid, uh, say you've gotten through your have-tos, your need-tos, your want-tos, and now you're saying, how do I build a solid financial future? How do you do that? Well, you have to do step number one, 
if you don't do this step number one, because here, here is this is critical for your for your listeners tonight. Most people do not fall off the financial planning wagon. They never get on. Mm. And you know, uh, I have a, a friend who wrote a book for couples just getting married, and she said you're planning for your big day, you're planning for you know the the party and the wedding and all that. Have you seen a financial planner? And we know the research she shared with me is that people who have financial planners, that within 10 years, their net worth has, I think it's double that of people who don't have one. Oh, wow. There's and over a study time, that yeah. gap just gets bigger and bigger. Yeah. There's a study at Virginia Tech in 2015 that said that people that had a written and regular reviewed plan had not two, not four, but nine times the wealth of those who did not. Whoa. Yes. It's a staggering study. So, so if number you one, have a plan that's written down and you review it regularly. Yes. And in the financial world, that's called a budget. Okay. Okay. Now, Let's I just have a call friend it what who, it is. Yeah, I have a friend <laughs> who calls it a spending plan because she says a lot of people break out in hives if you say budget. They so you do. call it a budget or you call it a spending plan, but what you're saying is write it down and be clear and review it regularly. Yes, and there's two reasons you want to review it regularly that are really big. Number one, what you're really doing with this spending plan or this budget is you're making sure the items that you want funded are funded. In other words, you've prioritized what are important to you when you sit down and think about them. Now you're taking the step to see that you get those things that you've already declared were important to you. Okay. So you call this the pouch plan budget. Why did you write this book? Well, I wrote this book because uh, I have seen people hurting through different recovery programs that I've participated in, from divorce recovery to uh, alcoholic recoveries to uh, abusive uh, spouse recovery programs. Mm-hmm. And, and then just in... I, I saw so many people make so many mistakes that are completely avoidable. Mm. And I could tell they were making them just out of ignorance. Yeah. Because here is a really strong statement that a, that a pastor over in Dallas shared with me one time, and it's great. This just nails it. If you don't have a plan for your money, rest assured a bunch of other people do. Oh, and that's a plans, good <laughs> And their plans will eventually trounce your no plan every time. Wow. Okay, so you say in your book that most people are failing financially. So why would your plan, the pouch plan, work for them? It's the first step to get them on the financial planning wagon. It is a budget that requires no math and no accounting to keep up every month or every paycheck. Mm -hmm. What we basically have done is we have taken the best of the technology that's available out there with electronic banking and money movements, and we combined it with what you may have heard of as the old envelope system. Okay. Okay. Uh, when my wife Suzanne and I got married almost 25 years ago, uh, we brought together a blended family of five kids, ages five through 17. So, that's a houseful, <laughs> as we used to say. That's yeah. a houseful. We had to do it right, and we had to do it right quick. And uh, uh, she is an amazing organizational guru. Uh she can literally herd cats, and <laughs> and uh, and I, I I'm a big pictures guy and a numbers guy. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know what it is about me. I can't remember someone's name, but I can remember their birthday or their weight if they shared that with me. But uh, So we looked and we started with the old envelope system, but we found it really hard to, to do on an ongoing basis. You know, this is not uh, – it, it's just – it's just tough to go pay things with cash everywhere. Right. Okay. And it wasn't long at all before she, my wife said, these envelopes are going away, and she picked up a little coupon divider. Okay. Mm-hmm. And we, in that, that's what became called the pouch, is one of those ah. coupon dividers. Okay. Okay. So we took all of what were those first buckets of expenses I told you about, the half twos. Mm-hmm. And they are pretty much regular expenses. They come about every month at about the same time and about the same amount. Okay? We set up 100% of those on automatic payment, either through the bank or through the vendor. Mm-hmm. Okay? Down to and even including like our tithe to our local church. Okay? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what? then we look at the bank account totally different than how it's been looked at before. Any money that goes in that bank account we consider already spent. Okay. So you've already got it allocated according to your plan. We know how much it is for those regular expenses, and when we get paid, that's the amount of money we leave in the bank account. All right. Now, you say that there are five things that the wealthy do that most people don't do. So what do they do? Share them with us so that we can join (laughs) them. Well, number one, they do have that plan, and it's a written plan. Okay? That's the first thing they have. The second thing they have is that they spend considerably less than they make. I'm not talking about 5%, 10%, 15%. They spend in the 30 to 50% of their disposable income, the rest they save. Okay? Number three, they look at wealth entirely different than most people. Assets to them are not necessarily like a house or something. They don't consider something an asset unless it produces income for them. Mm-hmm. Okay? Uh, and, and I can understand that because most people's house costs them a lot of money each month. Doesn't, right. Doesn't, doesn't pay them something each month. So they have a different way they look at wealth. Uh, the other two have to do with investments. Uh, the fourth is they invest in themselves a lot more than the average person. Now, what does that mean, invest in yourself? They go through education, through their businesses, through training. It was interesting because when you were responding to your first caller uh, tonight, that's exactly what it sounded like that that her uh, spouse was doing, was he was trying to invest in himself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And other people were critical of that. Right. Yeah. Wow. So. And then the last one I stole, and still I'm going to borrow, call it borrow, from one of my bosses or my boss back when I worked for Berkshire Hathaway, uh, and this comes from Warren Buffett, is you don't invest in anything you don't understand. Yeah, that makes total sense. And you don't the understand problem it, is, why would you invest in it? Yeah. But the big problem is people want to go to number five to get wealthy. Mm-hmm. Well, you you can't do that. These things are in a certain hierarchy because that's the only way it'll work. Now, you also talked about in the book, and I love this idea, the idea of a 10% raise in 10 days. Now, how do I get my 10% raise? This 
that's the average amount that a person will find when they just go list their expenses and put the very simplest of budgets together. It's an amazing phenomenon I have seen at least 100 times. I worked with a couple just a couple of months ago. Uh, he was a first responder, and she was uh, in the medical care profession, and they made about $120,000 a year. We found $1,100 in less than an hour and a half when they just put their budget together. Per wow. Savings. So that's money that was just floating around that they hadn't accounted for. Squandered, leaked, you know, wasted. Okay, uh, so you, you have these categories. You say, you're asking, are you a financial wanderer, squanderer, or ponderer? What's the <laughs> question that helps us to know whether we're wandering, squandering, or pondering? Tell me about your plan. That's what I ask people. Tell me about your plan. And when I get the deer in the headlights look, uh, I know they have no plan. And, you know, I'm from the south here, and I live in a rural area. Y'all may not see a lot of this in L.A., but, uh, I mean, we have roadkill down here. Mm-hmm. Okay? Uh, that's what you're going to end up as because these other people know where they're going and how they're going to get there, and they're going to run over you. Yeah. You know what? One of the studies that I often quote when I'm doing training and and teaching with couples in our programs is a study that was done at Harvard. They took all the people graduating, and I believe it was the business school, and asked them this one year, what are your goals? Do you have goals? And they Mm -hmm. found that only, I think, maybe... 20% of the people actually had goals. And so they said to that 20%, how many of you have written them down? Now we're down to 10%. Then they asked, how many of you have them written down with action steps? Now the number shrinks to 5% who had goals written down with action steps. 20 years later, they went back and talked to those people who had the 5% and compared them to the rest of the class in terms of how healthy they rated um, their finances, how successful they were out in the world, how much money they had in investments in their bank accounts, etc., they found that that 5% had more wealth than the other 95% of the class put together. And wait, this is the part that I found most exciting. They also rated their marriages healthier, more satisfying, because when they wrote those goals down, they had written healthy marriage. They also were the biggest contributors to their communities because they had written down community Mm -hmm. service. So I want to just back you up Mitchell, that there's a ton of research that shows the power of clarity and writing it down is almost like magic, because it helps us to focus. Exactly. Let's talk about that with a, with a budget or a plan. Just think about this. If you sit down with your significant other, your spouse, and you talk about what is important financially, think of the intimacy that you're sharing with one another. Think of the insight you're getting into what drives this other person, what's important to them. And so now that you have this, uh, this, this plan and this budget out in front of one another, money becomes something that ties you together. 
in common mm-hmm. goals, common uh, desires, even in common sacrifice. And instead of tearing your marriage apart, it ties it together. Mm-hmm. So there's a that's that's part of the magical stuff of a plan. And then you you put it with the magical stuff that money does, where it multiplies uh, tremendously the effort of individuals, and you just get this exponential return. And that's why just what you stated about that study in Harvard can be absolutely true. That with just a five percent difference, you'll get a ninety-five percent different result. Yes, you know, it's interesting because so many couples fight when they try to talk about money. And one of the things you're talking about is something I've also seen, which is that when you write it down and it's clear for both of you, a lot of that fighting and arguing about money stops. A friend of mine taught me, uh, the director of our coaching program actually, taught me this phrase. She said, when it comes to money, you can't think without ink. <laughs> I love that. I've never heard that. <laughs> I I would like to borrow that if I may. <laughs> Please. It's from Barbara Russo, who's our coaching training director, and she's a very wise person. Now, we have one more question that came in. I want to grab this question really fast before we run out of time. It says, Dear Dr. Brenda, I'm 31 years old. I live in Denver. I think I'm running out of time to get married and have a family. Been with my girlfriend for four years. I like her. She's beautiful, dedicated to me. We live together. However, I just recently met a girl that I had a sexual relationship with. She turns me inside out, and I can't stop thinking about her. What should I do? Break up and forget this girl ever happened and marry my girlfriend, confused in Colorado. Confused, you are not ready for marriage. You're not ready for marriage. If you're thinking about somebody else, if you've just had a sexual affair and you're focused on that, that's not the space from which a committed marriage can be built. I appreciate you writing your question. I want to recommend that you go do some work on yourself, and before you get married, take advantage of the fact that couples that do pre-marital coaching have 50% fewer divorces. And if you choose the girl you can't stop thinking about or the one you live with, do that coaching. But first, work on yourself. Why did you have the affair? Why did you threaten the relationship you're with if what you want is to get married and you think she's wonderful? There's more here than meets the eye, confused. Let's get clear, all right? Okay, now, Mitchell, coming back to you. I want you to give us a little bit of the sense of the pouch plan and why you use what you call old-school cash. <laughs> There's two reasons why we use old-school cash. Uh, now, first what is, is that? What that's is regular old cash. That's, that's green stuff. Green stuff. Uh, when you put it into your categories, when you pre-fund the categories, these irregular ones that we talked about earlier – you don't have to do any math because your budget is always in balance when you pull the money out and spend it. So if I have $100 in my clothes for the for the month and I pull $50 out to buy something, a pair of shoes, I can look in there at any time and see what my budget's left. So it requires no math. Mm. All right, listen, Mitchell, there is so much more for us to talk about. I've got a lot more questions for you. We're just <laughs> going to have to have you back. Everybody, our guest tonight is 
Mr. Mitchell. I'm going to grab that last one. Walker. <laughs> 